Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. If I, if I haven't met you, I am Josh. Uh, this is not my normal role, uh, proclaiming the Word, uh, but I am excited to do it. Uh, I am one of the elders here, and I would love to make your acquaintance if, if I don't know you. Uh, so generally, I'm back at the information desk, uh, so if you want more information about the church, we would love to help you. Okay, this is different. Uh, you know, as, as I thought about the responsibility of this and the privilege of proclaiming God's word, I, uh, it just made me really thankful uh, just for our body and for our church. And even, even my fellow elders made me thankful for Vince, who's proclaimed the word for years and years. It's the reason we joined this church. Um, and so he will be back Christmas Eve, so uh, please come back. It will be I'm sure it will be great. The season uh, is a little bit unusual as well as me being up here uh, in that we are going through, we are not going through books of the Bible systematically. That's generally how we go about uh, preaching the word here. Uh, So during the season of Advent, which is a season of expectant waiting, we've walked through the, the themes of hope, love, joy, and peace. We've seen God and his son, Jesus, God's son, Jesus, who was given for us, his people, his church. And with Christmas, that's, that's one thing that, that just makes sense. So today, uh, our last day of Advent, uh, we are going to look at the Advent theme of peace, or the Hebrew word shalom. Eric just said that we're going to look for God's glory within this passage, or within, within this time where we proclaim God's word. And I'm going to try and do a good job of preaching. I am going to try and be true to the text. But I think even if I just got up here and read the text, God would be glorified because God's word is truly amazing. God's word exalts God. So we're going to look at a famous Christmas prophecy passage in Micah 5.2 through the beginning of 5.5. So these minor prophets, Micah is a minor prophet. They're kind of hard to find. So you go to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably be in Psalms. Go past that to Proverbs. Uh, go past the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Then you'll find these little prophetic books, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and then Micah. It might just be better to go to the table of contents or just go to your phone. Uh, if you get to Nahum and Habakkuk, you've gone way too far. Uh, but these books are only a couple pages. And... Uh, Yeah, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on that back table in the back. Nobody's going to look at you if you go and get one, uh, but you're welcome to grab one of those. Keep it, take it, read it. It's yours. Merry Christmas. Um, As you're getting there, and you may already be there, I'm going to give a little background and setup for the prophet Micah. So the prophet Micah and his prophecies were written 700 years before they were accomplished through Jesus. This time, Israel, God's chosen people, had long been divided. 
about 930 B.C. So there's a northern and a southern kingdom. There's civil war. The nation is in a really poor state. 30 years before Michael was written, the Assyrians had occupied Israel. So not only is the kingdom divided and they've had civil war, but a new enemy has come in and taken over. But more importantly than the political and social unrest that Israel's experiencing, there's a lack of closeness with God. Both the northern and southern kingdoms have violated their covenant or their promised relationship with God. Israel was distraught politically, socially, and spiritually. Which is a little bit interesting as I think about today. We'll get into this in a little bit, but distraught politically, socially, and spiritually. I'm not talking about the U.S., although that may be true. I'm talking about the church. Israel's given themselves fully over to idols and Assyrian, Assyrian occupation. They need a rescuer. They need a savior. They need peace. So the passage we're going to look at today is probably one of the two most popular texts in Micah. It is this prophesying over Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, the promise of the Savior. So I'm going to read it. I'm not going to make you stand, but if you have your Bible, if you're in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, please look along as I read. Very short, so try and take it in. It's beautiful. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until this time, when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is God's word. Jesus is our peace. <laughs> we could probably leave now, or we might do a couple more songs or take communion, but that, that is the point. Jesus is our peace. I don't want that to be missed. As I try and, we will unpack that as we try and communicate it, but there is so little question about that. Much like we've seen in this Advent season, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is God's love made manifest. Jesus is our uncircumstantial joy, and Jesus is our peace. The beautiful thing about this is it's a very nature of who he is. That should bring us great comfort. We'll talk about that and security that he extends through experiencing peace, but his nature is peace, and then that's, that nature is expressed to us. So as, as Christians, those who belong to Jesus, we should experience peace. And I've realized I'm supposed to be doing, oh, are, are you, can you just, thanks, Hannah. That's probably better because I've got several things going on in my mind right now, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's better. So Jesus is our peace. So we're going to look at a couple ways in this passage why we see Jesus as our peace. One on a magnum scale and one on a very intimate scale. The first is Jesus is our peace 
because he is king. See this in Micah 5, 2 through 4. We're going to use verse 4 for both parts. The passage begins by saying, where this Savior will come from, which is a most unlikely place. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Ephrathah um, is the district in which Bethlehem is located. It's kind of like saying Fort Collins, northern Colorado. Or probably a better example would be Pierce, northern Colorado. Nobody knows where Pierce is. It's, it's nothing. Um, it's, it's little. It's, it's puny. It's weak. It, there is, there's nothing there. I don't see the chambers in here. Oh, so, oh there he is. Uh, there's some good things in Pierce. Um, nobody knows. Like, it is insignificant. And this is huge. If you think about Jesus, born in Bethlehem, in a manger, born in an insignificant place, in an insignificant location. Micah prophesies that a ruler king will be born. Seems impossible. A king who is from ancient of days. A king who, although born in a place and time, is from the beginning. This, this ancient of days, it literally translates from the days of eternity. A king and a kingdom without end from an insignificant place in an insignificant manger. Israel being decimated needed a hope in an eternal king and an eternal kingdom. This is a profound, a kingdom without end. Even the people of Israel knew this, that no king or no kingdom was eternal. They had seen the rise and fall of the super powerful Egyptians. Remember the Exodus? In their current state, they were oppressed by the Assyrians and eventually the Babylonians. But we know these kingdoms still do not reign. We, on this side of the cross and in the 21st century, know that the Persians, Macedonians, Romans, the Byzantines, Mongolians, Ottomans, Incans, Spanish, French, British, Germans, Soviets, and dare I say, Americans, that these kingdoms and the rulers are not eternal kind of makes Alexander the Great not so great. Verse 3, the context of the book of Micah is that the people of Israel are in distress. It even says that they have been given up on. The nation needs a new hope, a new David, who was also born in Bethlehem, a new king, a king born of a woman with us, Emmanuel. And not just a political or social king. They needed a savior king. They needed much, much more than just political rest or social rest. They needed rest for their souls. Israel's lack of a human king and being subjected to their enemies had left them without peace and order and left them helpless and oppressed. The prophet Isaiah, who was a contemporary of Micah, uh, Terry and Donna read this just a little bit ago, who was a contemporary of Micah addressing Israel's situation, said this about the king that was needed. This new ruler, this character of this king. Isaiah says in nine, Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. For to us the child is born. Micah tells us that child will be born in Bethlehem. He compliments Isaiah. Isaiah says the government shall be upon his shoulders. Micah tells us he will rule. He will be a wonderful counselor, Isaiah says. Micah affirms that he is majesty in verse 4. He'll be an everlasting father. Micah tells us that he is an eternal king. Wow, this is cool. He is the prince of peace. Isaiah 9 and Micah 5 both finish with Jesus being our peace. This rests upon the other attributes that are listed. Two different prophets, similar places, the same message. God's presence brings peace because of who he is and the overflow of his character. This promise of an eternal, all-powerful peace king for the world is encouraging for those people who know Jesus. But this king is unique and will not be distant like other kings, but will be incredibly close and personal. We will see that Jesus is our peace because he is near his people. So the second point is, Jesus is our peace because he is our shepherd. Micah 4 through 5a. This part of Jesus' character is very comforting to me. I think it's comforting. Uh, Funny having my parents here. Uh, Growing up in a church where I never knew the closeness of God. I knew God was distant and far off in the church I grew up in and kind of went to church and did this, but I didn't know he was close. But he's... He's almighty, but he's also all personal. Verse 4, it's beautiful. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, and he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Jesus the Messiah will rule and protect his flock. Through him and through his authority and power, his security It will allow us to be with him in an intimate way, in a way that will cause no fear. Jesus himself addresses his disciples and says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is both king and shepherd. Who he is, an eternal king, he promises his eternal life. As a shepherd, he provides comfort, security, and peace. I and the Father are one. This intimate shepherd is also God Almighty. Isaiah's words echo again, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. One more look at Jesus' care as a shepherd. This could probably be a whole sermon. I'm sure even one verse could be. And you're probably familiar with Psalm 23, but I'd like to look at it. Um, So I think it'll be on there. Um, Think about, as we read this, think about him being our peace. Think about him as the Prince of Peace. and, And see how peaceful this is. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 1, the shepherd gives us contentment. Verse 2, he sustains, guides, and gives us rest. Verse 3, he revives and leads us in his ways. In times of trouble, in verse 4, we fear not. He is present. He corrects, helps, he comforts. Micah 5, 4 again, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name, of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. We need a shepherd. After college, a little, after college at CSU, I spent seven years in New Zealand. Um, I grew to love this place. Some of my dearest friends are from there. Even a couple are watching on the live stream, which is fun. Um, New Zealand has sheep. Uh, In the 80s, it was about 22 sheep per one person. Now it's about six sheep per one. So if you go to New Zealand, the chances of meeting a sheep are maybe greater than meeting a person, Uh, especially if you're in the rural areas. and it's funny, I mean, you do see them everywhere, and you see sheep crossing the roads, and they are dumb. Like, they'll run into pole, posts, they'll fall off cliffs, they, they get panicked or spooked. Uh, they, they're just a really, really funny animal. And uh, one, I was like, one holiday, I was at a friend's house in New Zealand, and a sheep had fly strike. Uh, don't Google it. It's really, I did that yesterday, and if I'm ever off topic here, it's because I'm thinking about fly strike. Um, it's maggots and flies living inside the sheep, and you need to press like a pimple. Um, sorry. Um, and so we, we had a ewe that had fly strike in the bum. Uh, I called it bugs in the bum. Uh, so it was really bad. And I saw this poor old gal, you, and uh, like she was on the point of death. And if, again, she didn't know what was wrong, she was just scratching and itching. And just sheep have the tendency just to not really know they're unwell until they run headlong into a pole with their head or fall off a cliff or they're just scratching. But if you see them scratching, it's too late because they've let their whole body get fly strike. And so. But it was a beautiful thing. Like I, picked, I was with another farmer, and we picked up this old gal in our strong arms and rubbed ointment in the sore places and saw the maggots crawl out of the ointment. And Yeah, I know, sorry. That's uh, a really great story. And the sheep was saved. It was amazing. And then a year later, I came back to the farm, and the sheep was an amazing shape. But it was, it was not looking good. But the sheep didn't even know it was in danger. It was just thinking, I itch. So it was a beautiful thing to think, oh, I was able to help save it. And Isaiah 53, 6 says, Like sheep, we have all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. If you haven't read uh, Philip Keller, he's an old shepherd pastor. He has a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. Here's a little, a little plug. It's, it's brilliant, beautiful, and it's a great picture of the shepherd and, and the sheep. But a shepherd doesn't know what about barbed wires, cars, cliffs. Fly strike. The shepherd is their security. It's not what we do. It's not what the sheep does. We need God. In our security, we will experience peace. Final verse about, uh, about the shepherd. 
It is in Isaiah 40, 11. I think it sums it up. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them in the fold of his robe. Man, I want to be in the fold of God's robe. I, Micah ends in verse 5, and he shall be our peace. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace because he's king. He has power. He, is, he rules the nations. He is eternal. He gathers his people. He is the strength of the Lord. He is great. If he were not king, he would not have authority, dominion, and power over us or our world. We may have a buddy-buddy relationship with God, but we'd lack reverence. We would also be quick to question God because he isn't king. We wouldn't want to obey him. We know Jesus is king. We must know he's in control of all things. Jesus is our peace also because he's our shepherd. He looks after us. He comforts us. He secures us. He is intimately connected to us. If this wasn't true, then Jesus would be impersonal, distant, void of intimacy. 1 Peter 5 says, we can cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. He's a good shepherd. So in conclusion, what's the problem? Why is it so difficult to have peace when this is our God and we are his people? I don't need to go into this. You live in this world just like I do. Man, this is me now going to a prayer of confess or a, a confessing of sin. I I'm not good at this. Much like the other Advent themes, hope, love, and joy, I do not seek peace from our Savior King or my intimate shepherd. I often look for pleasures and comforts and things outside of God. This is not good, but I do it. In fact, just to illustrate, I really love this time of year. I love Christmas. I like music and food and trees and singing and tinsel and eggnog. I like cookies and presents and yule logs and nutcrackers, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I even like Jack Frost nipping at my nose. Uh, I love the merriment of this time of year. Uh, these sensory pleasures can give me a false sense of hope, though. Love, joy, and peace. Unfortunately, and maybe to redirect me, fortunately, this year has left for some longings. A nice sleigh ride or a well-prepared figgy pudding will not necessarily take away some of the disappointments from this year. I will not, re I will not relieve. Christmas season will not relieve my good buddy Ezra, who has been in the hospital since late July. Won't relieve his family. I love. Jesus, be our peace. Be Ezra's peace. Be the black's peace. Circumstantial peace will not take away my sleepless nights and the buckets of tears that I've cried. Will not relieve Liz and my bickering as we periodically engage in. Will not take away the political confusion. It will not take away the disappointment of the global church and even the disappointment of the town church. People move, people stay, people, people are sinful, people hurt each other. Our temporary peace has been disrupted, causing hurt and even trauma. This is not just the last two years. 
Remember Israel? Civil war, exile, etc., etc. We've always needed a savior. We've always needed a transcendent peace. This year I've been sad in light of circumstances. And I've even let some of these experiences take away my peace, take away my Jesus, take away my king, take away my shepherd. I've forgotten the goodness and greatness of God and his transcendent peace and the peace of his person. I've let circumstances, although grave, overshadow Christ and him being my peace. <laughs> even looking at you all, probably haven't done, I've probably looked at this mainly, but looking at you all, had several conversations with many of you. Some of you in healthcare, teachers, other pastors, small business people. This has been a tough time to navigate professionally. Relationally, I see some of you and I know that you've got family members who are displaced or don't want to have anything to do with you. Social and political fights, relational issues, vaccines, masks, etc., etc. So weary of it. Just like a bewildered Israel, we need a king. We need a shepherd. We need a savior who will be our peace, who will be our prince of peace. So what do we do with this? We need to rest. We need to take a deep breath and spend time anticipating Jesus' coming and his return. This week in preparing this has been very helpful to me. We have to seek God in prayer. We have to pray for one another. We, ask, we have to ask God to calm our hearts and minds and trust that he will give us a peace that transcends understanding. Paul tells us to do that in Philippians 4, 6-7. We must seek Jesus himself. We must focus on Jesus giving us peace in the midst of our circumstances because he alone is peace due to his character. Kingdoms and kings, they will come and go. But God and his kingdom remain and is eternal. This should cause us to be obedient and draw close to our God. As we transition to the Lord's Supper, this is a rhythm that will cause us to draw near to our shepherd, King Jesus. But before we do that, I would like to pray for us, and then I'll give some instruction on how to do that. Heavenly Father, Our, our, our glorious king and our personal shepherd. We thank you for, for who you are and that because of who you are, your very, your very nature is experienced in a relationship with you. God, I, in a world that feels chaotic, just like Israel probably felt, in a world that feels like it may lack peace, hope, joy, and love. I pray that we, even in these last few days of Advent, would sit at your feet and take joy in a transcendent peace. I pray that we would, we would, we would ponder who you are, coming as a baby, living a life, a perfect life, and dying a sacrificial death on the cross to, be ro to rise again for our sins so that we may know you and have eternal life with you. So God, I pray that we would look beyond our current situation 
and look to you, the Prince of Peace. In your name we pray, amen.